Roger Green, host of the Surfing the National Tsunami podcast. This week, we are offering a range of conversations from our coverage during the International Letter Congress 2022 and from this week's Surfing Nash wrap-up episode. This conversation centers around reactions to Stephen's description of the Resmeteron presentations, with discussion of a Jorn Schottenberg Resmeteron presentation at the end. Mazda Nouradine, Michelle Long, and Louise Campbell all expressed reactions to the Phase three trial, while Jorn and Mazda focused particularly hard on the cirrhotic results. ILC 2022 covered a vast array of issues around drug development, non-invasive testing, patient screening and treatment, and the entire process of provider-patient communications. On each topic, there were conversations that can enlighten every fatty liver stakeholder and promise a more optimistic future for us all. So sit back, listen, enjoy, learn, and when you're done, join the dialogue on our LinkedIn discussion group. Jörn Schattenberg. I was just going to quickly uh, comment on on some of the uh, changes in size, spleen, liver. You you said you're going to get the partial buy-in from me here on this. The size, um, you know, if we're looking at that more because we have better ways to visualize the entire organ and measure this, could we move past ultrasound assessment now with MRI? This is much more robustly validated and you can actually depict these changes. So I think that's that's one way to go. There's a lot of variability related to body size and, and, and a lot of things we haven't standardizedly assessed yet. So what's the normal liver? volume or size for a certain person versus another person. Same holds true for liver spleen. And there were also some abstracts in the meeting looking at spleen stiffness, which I think comes a little closer to portal hypertension. Maybe there's some truth in that. Uh, just uh, as a summary and thinking from my side on what you presented, I think it's very thought-provoking and it's clearly related to the pathophysiology uh, in my mind of the disease. And, and it's good to A, reduce the size, may it be refattening or some reorganization and taking some pressure off the liver was also going to affect size and, and potentially spleen stiffness, which we know hasn't been explored in this trial you just introduced, but some other abstracts of uh, linked spleen size to uh, portal hypertension, clinical significant portal hypertension, that is. Stephen Harrison. I think that's a great point, Jorn. The only thing I can say in response to that is we are gathering data to help address whether or not there is a significance to this or not. And probably the best way to do that is the Maestro Outcomes trial, where you actually take well-compensated cirrhotic patients, measure their volumes at baseline, treat them for a period of time. You know, you measure those that have had an outcome versus those that didn't and look and see if there's a difference in spleen volume over time and liver volume over time. Maybe the ratio of the two, you can put together some sort of coefficient to help validate whether or not this is linked to an outcome measure. But yeah, well taken. This is this is just an observation, I think, at this point. Mazen Nuruddin. You know, I think, Stephen, you're being careful of not overstating the findings. But to me, it was actually, in, in my mind, spleen size decreased, liver volume decreased. There was a correlation with platelet. That's what we do hepatologists all day. We look at the platelet and evidence of portal hypertension. Rather, this is early portal hypertension or patients with NAFLD and NASH, they have increased vascular flow because of resistance from the spleen and larger volume of the liver. I don't know what it is, but the fact that the spleen went down, platelet simultaneously went up and the liver went down, I think this is a really good step. I mean, to me, there were a couple of things out of the cirrhotic and the one striking thing for me for non-cirrhotics, I'll say it in a second. So for this cirrhotics, I think the drug was given over a good period of time and it should to be safe. And this is a key finding for me. And it gives me the confidence with their future outcome studies, cirrhotic trials, and the safety of the drug. Of course, I'm jumping into conclusions, but still a lot of cirrhotic patients got the drug and we know that they might be more prone to hepatotoxicity. And the finding of the spleen and the liver volume was also striking to me. Now, on the 
other side of the non-sporadic study, I was really excited about seeing MR allostography moving the right direction. I think this is probably the first study that shows MR allostography change with therapeutic agent. I hope it represents fibrosis. I think it is, but because the MR allostography just very precise when it comes to fibrosis, but we have to see the correlation with liver biopsy when we get the Mastro-NASH data. So those are the take-home messages for, for me from the serotic and the non-serotic presentations that you guys had. Michelle Long. I would echo those comments from Yorn and from Mazin. The other comment I have about the non-serotic late-breaker abstract was in the generalizability. As much as we all enroll patients in clinical trials, we don't take care of clinical trial patients. We take care of people. And people in the real world sometimes don't take their medications or they forget to pick them up or it's not uncommon for me to have patients who are less adherent than I'd like and have even, you know, a couple months off of treatment. You know, that just happened because of the circumstances of the time and place in history when this study was being run. But I actually think it says a lot about the generalizability because it makes the clinical trial patient more human and more like the real people that we take care of. And to see these positive effects, things moving in the right direction, even despite that, I think was very powerful. Louise Campbell. Just jump in and comment on that. I thought it was extremely exciting data because it's a population that we tend to refer back to primary care. They're not traditionally used in clinical trials and they're not particularly targeted other than go back to primary care, try and eat less and move more is the standard pattern that they get. But what you've shown really well is that these are very treatable patients with great outcomes potentially. And the other thing is that when I look back at clinical trials, most people only take about 80% of the medication that they're given in the best chance, let alone that this was about 80% of the medication they were given because they had no other option to take 80%. And you still show data that showed great responses, as well as it being very well tolerated. When we've discussed targeting lower grade fibrosis or just fatty liver, these are important trials because these are populations that we haven't traditionally looked at. And currently, certainly nice guidelines, we're going to refer anybody with a fibro scan of less than eight back, irrespective of what the CAP score is, into primary care. And maybe we shouldn't do. Great trial population, and your figures show that. So I think these are fantastic comments. There was a, another presentation we did on AI Digital Path looking at a correction factor for liver volume reduction and steatosis reduction. But I, I think we'll save that one for another date. Maybe uh, before I talk about pimvudatide, which is a GLP-1 receptor agonist, glucagon receptor agonist. So maybe, Yorn, you want to comment on the FIB4 from your your oral? Yes, thanks for that, Stephen. I would have probably put it into the broader perspective, which was one of the main themes and discussions at ILC this year, which means linking uh, non-invasive biomarkers to outcome and the accuracy of non-invasive biomarkers. These are two big themes. You know, the outcome aspect, we can follow up a little later, but I think there was so much data on what does it mean to be in a FIP4 high category versus low category, and we've touched that briefly. The accuracy of non-invasive invasive tests is, of course, important. And we had a great session on that on Saturday morning. And there was a number of abstracts that are worth mentioning. One given by Jérôme Brosier highlighted the aspects of patients with type 2 diabetes and the accuracy of the FIB4. And I followed up in that session on the accuracy of FIB4 to detect patients with NASH, defined as a NASH of 4 and more, and at least significant disease, F2 and F3 disease within the resmeterome phase 3 screening population. So 2,000 patients that underwent liver biopsy in 
in a highly selected trial population, meaning they had to have three risk factors, three metabolic risk factors. They had to have a fiber scan of 8.5 kilopascal to qualify. They had an MRE of 8% and higher before undergoing liver biopsy. You, so you get the feeling this is a high-risk population, but it's the population we're seeing in hepatology offices. Those are patients that have been referred for advanced disease in my clinical practice, and it's the ones that I consider for clinical trials or in the future potentially for drug treatment. And the central finding of that analysis, which was done again on the Maestro Nash resmiterome screening population, 2,000 cases of liver biopsy, was a significant number of those had normal ALT. I think it was 27% had normal ALT levels and 80% were below two times upper limit of normal. And that is of concern because many patients are in my practice referred based on ALT. So we have to really look into how not to miss this significant liver disease patients with a normal ALT. And that normal ALT fat, considering what goes into the FIB4, which is ALT, AST, platelets, and age, into a significant number of patients in the F2, F3 population that were actually in the lower category of the FIB4. So below the 1.3, which we commonly consider as a high negative predictive value. So if you leave the general population, if you leave the general screening recommendations, you move into a highly enriched patient populations in hepatology offices, the FIB4 loses its ability to rule out significant disease. I think that's the main take home of my presentation there. And I'll be you know, interesting to hear what, how, how you guys saw it and, and if you have any comments to that. Uh, thanks, Jorn. I'm going to ask that we keep the comments on FIB4 a little short because we did talk about that in each of the last two episodes somewhat. So I'd like feedback, particularly from Stephen and Michelle, who I don't think were part of those conversations. Stephen certainly wasn't. And then I want to stay with drugs today. We're going to come back at some point in the next couple of months, I think, and take a look at this entire question of the basic initial screens and what are they good for and how should we think about them? I, I think my comment is supporting what, what Jorn said. I think this is a great tool to screen the general population. It's not a tool to screen for an at-risk NASH population where we're enrolling in clinical trials, at least as a single tool. And quite frankly, we wouldn't use this as a single tool just to assess NASH patients anyway, unless you had less than 1.3, which gives you a high negative predictive value for screening the general population. And that's where I would use it following, gosh, the AGA guidance, the EASL guidance, the ACE guidance uh, for general population screening or populations that have at-risk patients, but not not screening them into clinical trials. All right. I guess we're going to take a minute and go there. Mazen, you want to comment on that? No, I mean, I totally agree with everyone. We talked about it in the previous episode, and we have a great start with FIB4 and the guidance. And now, back to Roger. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you have any questions or comments about the contents of this conversation or the entire episode, please send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. We'll be back next week with our final ILC 22 wrap-up, Scott Friedman and Neil Henderson discussing some of the basic science issues from the meeting. Please join us for all that. Until then, stay safe and surf on. We'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. <laughs>